Amen. Would you turn with me to the scriptures to Genesis, please? Genesis 16. Your Bible open, please. We're going to look a lot this evening at, we're going to look at a little bit of Islam and where it came from. We want to go right to the seedbed of the Bible. We want to go look at where um, the Arabs came from, maybe some of Esau, Edom. We're going to look at uh, their links maybe with Turkey and Iran and all of those countries and nations. As we look at those tonight, I'm aware that there are other nations around them that maybe are different and sometimes people change. I'm aware of that. But this is the foundational block that I believe the scriptures tells us and gives us for us to lay hold on this evening. Genesis 16, verse 7, please, reading onward. And the angel of the Lord found her by a fountain of water in the wilderness, by the fountain in the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, Sarai's maid, whence camest thou, and whither wilt thou go? And she said, I flee from the face of my mistress, Sarai. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, Return to thy mistress, and submit thyself under her hands. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, I will multiply thy seed exceedingly, that it be not, that shall not be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, Behold, thou art with child, and shalt bear a son, and shalt call his name Ishmael, because the Lord hath heard thy affliction. And he will be a wild man, and his hand will be against every man, and every man's hand against him. And he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. And he called the name of the Lord, she called the name of the Lord, and spake that spake unto her, Thou, God, seest me, for she said, Have I also here looked after him that seeth me? Wherefore the well was called Beer Laharoi. Behold, it is between Kadesh and Bered. And Hagar bare Abram a son, and Abram called his son's name, which Hagar bare Ishmael. And Abram was fourscore and six years old when Hagar bare Ishmael to Abraham. Hagar, the Egyptian uh, handmaid of Abraham's wife, Sarai. Genesis 16 and verse 6 says, And when Sarai dealt hardly with her, she fled from her face. Strange because the name Hagar means to flee or to give flight. And she did that which her name said in Genesis 16 and in verse 7 says, and the angel of the Lord found her by a fountain in the wilderness. Shows you, you cannot run from the presence of the Lord. Even in the wilderness, even wherever you run, sir, lady, friend, the Lord will find you when the Lord is looking for you. When she is asked why by the angel of the Lord in verse 8, why she would flee away from into the wilderness, he says, I flee from the face of my mistress, Sarai. And then the promise of God comes to Hagar and to her son. His name shall be called Ishmael, which means God will hear. God will hear. 
Notice in Genesis chapter 16 and verse 12, gives a description of Ishmael, what he'll be like. And he will be a wild man, and his hand will be against every man, and every man's hand against him. And he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. This man is going to be a bit troublesome. And so his seed would be troublesome. Now we know, you see, that Abram was promised a son by God. And Abram thought he would do God a favor. And through Sarah and her prompting, he then lies with Hagar the Egyptian. And of course, Ishmael is the product of their union together. Shows you, brothers and sisters, that we are to wait upon God's timing. And when we wait upon God's timing, he's never early, he's never late, he's always on time. And notice this trouble that has happened throughout the years since this time uh, that we are reading off tonight. You'll see it as we go, go on with our study. Genesis 16 and verse 14, she calls the name of the well there, Beer Laharoi, Beer Laharoi, and it means well of the living one seeing me. Now that's important. Why am I telling you this? Because it has come into some areas of even Christendom now, where we have ecumenical movement of uh, Christendom and Islam called Christlam. And it's being propagated in areas of the United States and in other parts of the world. And they're saying that the God of Islam and the God of Israel are the same. Brothers and sisters, we need to look at that because they take it from here. So let's bear with me till we go on. Notice here, it means the well of the living one seeing me or sees me. Notice the biblical foundation is here and the genetic root of the Arab peoples is here. Ishmael becomes uh, the father of the Arab nations in the world today. So yes, I take note and bear with me. Yes, the living God, the God of Abraham, was the one who came to Hagar. The living God is Yahweh or Jehovah. He did come to Hagar and he did speak of Ishmael. The Arabs, as I said, are part of Abraham's seed. They are also, you ready, Semitic. Because Abraham was Semitic. The Arabs have Semitic blood and the Arabs have Hebrew blood also. Now let me just, a little injuncture here. You see, the, 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 everyone thinks Abraham was a Jew. There were no Jews in Abraham's day. Abraham was in Hebrew. Abraham was Semitic from the sons of Noah. Abraham was a Hebrew after his uh, grandfather some four or five times back called Heber. And there were no Israelites at this point either. Because Abraham has Jacob. And then, we, of course, pardon me, Isaac and then Jacob. And Jacob has Israel, it becomes Israel. That's where the name Israel comes. So there are no Israelites at this time. And one of the tribes of Jacob's 12 sons is called Judah. And that's where we get the name Judea from. And that's where we get the name Judas from. And that's where we get the derivative name Jew from. There were no Jews in Abraham's day, nor Israelites. They were Hebrew, 
and they were Shematic. Notice the Arabs becoming from through Ishmael was also Hebrew and were also Shematic. But they are not the chosen seed line. Stay with me. Genesis chapter 12, please, if you will look at it. Verse 1, And the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, into a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse them that curseth thee. And in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. So the Lord has promised a man and a woman who have no children, that they're going to have a great nation. And then when we get to chapter 15, if you want to flick over just for a few verses, time won't allow us to read too much of it. The Lord promises again that he would bless Abraham or Abram with the land, the land blessing. And he tells him that he would seal it in blood. Notice in verse 9, and he said unto him, take me and heifer of three years old and a she-goat of three years old and a ram of three years old and a turtle dove and a young pigeon. And he took unto him all these and divided them in the midst and laid each piece one against another, but the birds divided he not. And when the fowls came down upon the carcasses, Abram drove them away. And when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram and lo, and horror of great darkness fell upon him. And he said unto Abram, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs and shall serve them. And they shall afflict them four hundred years. And also that nation whom they shall serve will I judge. And afterward they shall come out with great substance. Thinking of the Israelites later to come who go into Egypt and then brought out through Moses. And thou shalt go to thy fathers in peace and thou shalt be buried in a good old age. But in the fourth generation they shall come thither again, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. And it came to pass that when the sun went down and it was dark, behold, a smoking furnace and a burning lamp passed between those pieces. In the same day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, Unto thy seed have I given this land from the river of Egypt to the great river of the Euphrates. That's way over where Iran, Iraq is, the Euphrates today. So way down from Egypt, the whole way over to Euphrates was the land that was given unto Abram. Chapter 16 in our reading, he tries to give God the hand as it were. And then in chapter 17, the Lord comes again to make known his covenant. If you read right down through chapter 17, when you go home, you'll read about, the Lord says, my covenant, my covenant, my covenant. But if you will, at this point, just read verse 19, please. And God said, Sarah thy wife shall bear thee a son indeed, and thou shalt call his name Isaac, and I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting, how long is it for? An everlasting covenant, and with his seed after him. But as for Ishmael, I have heard thee, behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and will multiply him exceedingly. Twelve princes shall he beget and I will make him a great nation. Verse 21 is very important. 
But my covenant will I establish with Isaac. Notice, but my covenant will I establish with Isaac. Why am I bringing you so much of this Old Testament story? Is because today, Islam say they believe in the Old Testament. Let's read on a minute. Which Sarah shall bear unto thee at the set time in the next year. And he left off talking with him, and God went up from Abram. So Ishmael has 12 sons. Genesis 21, please. Genesis 21. Now notice this. Here comes a union. And he dwelt in the wilderness of Paran. And his mother took him a wife out of the land of Egypt. That is, Ishmael took a wife out of the Egyptians. Now that's the scripture says that. The scripture tells us that it is sure and forever settled in heaven. Notice the Hebrew Semitic bloodlines keeps getting, as it were, watered down. The Bible has little to say about Ishmael and the Arabs after that. Notice from 2018, because lands change, borders change, there are 22 Arab League member nations at the moment from 2018. Now, I'm not going to rhyme them all off, but here's some of the major ones that you'll, under, you'll hear of and that are in the Middle East and to do with the crisis we're going to deal with in a minute. Of course, there's Egypt, Algeria, Sudan, Iraq, Morocco, Saudi Arabia, Yemen, Syria, Libya, and of course the Palestinians. Now notice this, all of them are at war. His hand shall be against every man, and every man's hand against him. They are all at war. Now the thing about this is, is most of the population of the Arab world, most of the population, almost all of it, but most of it, they are Islamic today. Okay, they're Islamic. And so you could look at all of these Arab nations and say, well, virtually all of that map across North Africa and right up into Turkey and all the Stan countries, Tajikistan, Turkmenistan, Uzbekistan, all those countries are very predominantly, if not almost entirely, Islamic countries. Iran, Iraq, and Syria, and so on, Jordan, and we could keep going on. Iran is not an Arab nation, by the way, but they're all Islamic. So when we look at this, we want to see more about the, the Islamic faith, the Muslim faith. They say because of the Bible that they believe it and that we worship the same God as they do. That they worship the God of Israel or Israel worships their God. No, we don't. No, we don't. In Genesis, pardon me, in Matthew chapter 24, the Lord Jesus warned about the, the man Muhammad but not mentioning his name. Notice what he says in verse 26. Wherefore, if they shall say unto you, Behold, he is in the desert, go not forth. Jesus said that. Talking about a prophet. 
talking about another prophet, talking about another Christ. And he says, Wherefore, if they shall say unto you, He's in the desert, go not forth. Muhammad was in the Arabian desert. Notice, and behold, he is in the secret chambers. Believe it not. Believe in here that the secret chambers are those where the papacy are elected and the white smoke come out. He says, believe it not. In approximately 570 AD was the birth of Muhammad. Muhammad was born to Abdullah and they were not, who were known as Hashemims. Hashemims. They were not Islamic. They were not Muslim. They were off the Quraysh tribe of Mecca and they were closely connected to the worship associated with the Kaaba stone. Now if you were wondering what that is, if you ever see some of those photographs of the big black and gold stone, big square cube, and millions of Muslims come and they pilgrimage to it and they walk around it and around it and they stop and face it and pray because they believe there's articles in it that they need to. For example, one of the stones away before Noah, they believe, was in this. They believe that Abraham and Ishmael were the starters of an altar here. And so that's why they come here. Now you need to get this because this is what's happening. And they say that this cause of Abraham and Ishmael, that they now come, it's their most holy site. The second one is in Jerusalem. Their second one is in Jerusalem. So they come and they, they come around that, millions of them, every single year. The Kaaba stone in Mecca. And after the death of Muhammad's grandfather, he lived with his uncle. And he went along these uh, trading routes, caravan trading routes, his uncle was called Abu Talib. He traveled there through Arabia and through Syria. They all, including Muhammad, they all worshipped a plethora of gods and a plethora of goddesses. They had many gods. He heard of Yahweh, the God of Israel. He heard of Yahshua. Hamashiach, Christ the Messiah. He had heard of him on his travels and he decides to go and to develop meditation. You ready? Meditation in a cave in Arabia. It's on the summit or near the summit of the mount. It's called Jabal al-Nur. And Jabal al-Nur means a mountain of light. So there he says, visions arose before him. At the age of 40, he claimed his first revelation. And it says that angel, the angel Gabriel came and gave him these revelations. And the meditations of them he wrote down over a period of years. And this has become known as the Quran. Muhammad takes this to Mecca. Muhammad takes this to his own family and people. And he is opposed by the Arab people for 13 years. They wanted nothing to do with it. The flight of Muhammad from Mecca was in 622 AD. And with him fleeing because of the uh, the persecution of him, he flees from Mecca to Medina. And 622 AD, there starts the Islamic calendar 
the Islamic calendar is called the Hegira. The Hegira then starts from that very date. Notice, Jesus warned in Matthew 24 and 26, he said, go not forth. He told us that this would happen. But John had a warning from Jesus to give to the churches. If you'll turn with me to the book of Revelation, please. Revelation chapter 9. Revelation chapter 9, please. And again, we can only do, because of such a vast subject, we can only lift a few verses out. If you go home and you read Revelation chapter 9, this all in codified form, here's what you'll find. You'll find this is the uprising of the Islamic movement. Revelation 9, just let me get it. I set it down and fell over again. And the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fall from heaven. Take note. Jesus says, I beheld Satan fall as lightning from heaven, didn't he? This is the same thing Christ is speaking about. He's showing it to John for you and I. And I saw a star fall from heaven unto the earth, and to him was given the key of the bottomless pit. And he opened the bottomless pit, and there arose a smoke out of the pit as the smoke of a great furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened by the reason of the smoke of the pit. And there came up out of the smoke locusts upon the earth, and unto them was given the power as the scorpions have power, uh, pardon me, the scorpions of earth have power. Here we're seeing the visions of Muhammad, the star that falls from heaven. It would take a full night for me to do this one chapter alone. And here John sees the arising of the Islamic movement. They were one of the first armies to pull cannons behind them like scorpions with stings in their tails. And they would have left a lot of the vegetation behind and not to touch the vegetation. Even as it's said here in the book of Revelation chapter 9 and verse 4. And it was commanded them that they should not hurt the grass of the earth, neither any green thing, neither any tree, but only those men which have not the seal of God on their foreheads. And then when you let your eye run down, you'll see in verse 9 they have breastplates as it were, breastplates of iron, and the sound of their wings is the sound of chariots of many horses running to battle. And they had tails like unto scorpions, and their stings in their tails, and their power was to hurt men five months. Notice, and they had a king over them, which is the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in the Hebrew tongue is Abaddon, but in the Greek tongue, his name is Apollyon. Notice, Abaddon in the Hebrew, and Apollyon in the Greek Both names mean the destroyer. The destroyer. We're told in the Quran that when the alleged angel Gabriel came to Muhammad, that this is what he had written down. Read the name of thy Lord and cherisher who created. Created man out of a clot of congealed blood. I'm going to read that again for you. Read the name of thy Lord and cherisher who created. Created man out of a clot of congealed blood. Now if they say they 
uh, go by the Bible that we go by and the Testament that we go by and the prophets that we go by and they worship the God whom we worship, then they will see that the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the earth, not out of a clot of congealed blood. That's what they say. So Revelation 9 speaks of the rise of it. I'll maybe do it in, a, in detail. I can show you it all in detail, but I just can't do that tonight. Revelation chapter 10, while you're here, um, we'll not read too much of it tonight. It speaks of the Protestant Reformation. It speaks of the Protestant Reformation. If you just let your... Uh, let's read the first two verses. And I saw another mighty angel come down from heaven, clothed with a cloud, and a rainbow was upon his head, and his face as it were the sun, and his feet as pillars of fire. And he had in his hand that little book open, and he set his right foot upon the sea and his left foot upon the earth. We see here this little book was the printed Bible whenever the Protestant Reformation under Martin Luther cried to just shall live by faith. And the printing press was invented uh, by Caxton, and then it went across Europe, and millions of people, thousands upon thousands, were able to have a printed Bible in their hands. I'll tell you what, if you're interested, it's coming up to the Reformation Sunday next week. I think I'll preach on uh, Reformation and prophecy next Sunday night, if you're interested in that. So that's what we'll do, God willing. But Revelation 9 speaks of Islam. Revelation chapter 10 speaks of the Reformation. And the God of Islam and the God of Israel, as you can see, are not the same. They are not the same. Let me just run you through a couple of things, just little brief things about the Quran and the Bible. The Quran says Abraham's father was called Azar. That's in Surah 6 and 74. The Bible says Abraham's father, or pardon me, Abraham's father was Terah, not Azar. The Quran says Abraham worshipped in the valley of Mecca. Hence, the altar was built with Ishmael. But if they're reading the Bible as they say they do and believe in the Bible and the prophets as they say they do, the Bible says Abraham lived and worshipped in Hebron. The Quran says Abraham offered Ishmael for sacrifice. And the Bible says that Abraham offered Isaac for sacrifice. The Quran says Abraham had two sons. The Bible tells us Abraham had eight sons. Who are the eight sons? Well, Ishmael. And then he had Isaac. And after the death of Sarah, he married a woman called Keturah. And Keturah had six sons unto Abraham. So he had eight sons in total. And when Muhammad died in 632 AD... Two rival factions sprang out of it. Now, this is where we're coming closer to where we are today. Two rival factions uh, split and came from uh, the Muslim faith. First of all were the Shiites. The Shiites felt Muhammad's successor should be someone from Muhammad's bloodline. Okay, we need to get this. They believed that Muhammad's successor should be someone from Muhammad's bloodline. That's the Shiites. The Sunnis felt a pious individual who followed the prophet would be acceptable. And hence, the great divisions of, of Islam started to happen. 
The Sunnis who feel that an individual who followed the prophets and the customs were acceptable, they are by far the larger group, maybe 80 to 90% of the Islamic grouping today. Here's some of the countries who in majority, now not completely, maybe some of them almost completely, but in majority. Iraq and Iran have a Shia majority. That is, they believe that Muhammad's successor should be from Muhammad's bloodline. Iraq and Iran are Shia. Turkey and Syria, Egypt, Saudi Arabia are Sunni. And so they believe that they, that, that a pious individual who follows the prophet, they believe that he should be the one to lead them. So we have Shia and the Sunnis. Now, when you think of this, I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but Iran and Saudi Arabia detest each other. They detest each other. This is the main reason why. And the thing about it is you have Wahhabism, which comes out of Saudi Arabia, one of the strictest and uh, most barbaric forms of this. But in general, this is the reasons why you see trouble among Islam. Notice when Iran and Saudi Arabia want to uh, have battle with each other rather than cut across countries that are separating them and have out-and-out war, they start war in other countries, like Yemen. You hear about it all the time, and that's to do with the Shias and the Sunnis. And what they do is they back each side in that country. The people are uh, murdering and obliterating themselves, and so these two nations are fighting out their religious war through these people. Listen, even when Iraq and Iran war was on, and I think it was the 70s, if my memory serves me right, into the 80s, even when that uh, war was on, that was to do with the United States backing Iraq. It was the United States who put Saddam Hussein in power and caused that nation of Iraq uh, to, to exist, really. Iran uh, had changed from being a more secular and a more liberalized Islamic uh, state into a more strict one when the, when the Ayatollah took over. And Russia backed Iran. So Russia and America were fighting, only they were doing it through these two nations. And these poor people were wiping each other out. And hence you see it still happening in the Middle East. One of the main causes is oil. And another one is, it's one worldism wanting a central bank. One in Syria, they wanted one in Afghanistan, they wanted one in Iran. Because they weren't bowing down to the overlords of a new world order. And that is really the crux of what is happening at the minute. Let's go further into this for a moment. Please stay with me. Turkey has been involved. Turkey has been a a mighty nation in the Middle East. Turkey, let's go to Genesis chapter 36. Genesis 36. You know what I find is it's, it's amazing. Absolutely amazing. When I look at the Word of God, it's amazing whenever I read the Word of God and it, when we go right back to the seedbed of the Bible and it shows us, the Word of God tells us everything we need to know for today and for our lives. Notice this then if we go to Genesis chapter 36, please. Just a couple of verses. Let your eye run down to verse 9. 
And these are the generations of Esau, the father of the Edomites in Mount Seir. So when you're in the, reading through the scriptures and you hear of the word Esau, Edom, and Seir, S-E-I-R, they're the same peoples living in different areas. Notice this, and these are the names of Esau's sons, Eliaphas, the son of Ada, the wife of Esau, Ruel, the son of Bashimath, the wife of Esau, and the sons of Eliaphas were, so this is Esau's grandsons, ready? Teman, Omar, Zepho, Gatam, and Kenaz. Now I see the word Teman. Many believe the word Teman is a trigger for us to look for the Turks. Some disagree with it, and some say that they are the progenitors of some of the Turkish peoples or mixed with the Turks. Teman, the Edomite. The Edomites, there's a place called the land of Timan or Timenia. And that's from, uh, I'm trying to think of where you'd be, over in Iran. And they went right up across where all those Turkoid nations are, right the whole way across. The, the Tajikistan, the Turkmenistan, Uzbekistan, and all those countries. Now notice this here. They went from Mongolia. A lot of the Turks on the eastern side of Turkey. A lot of the Turks are from that Mongolian-looking side, that more Asian-looking side. And when you get closer to the western side of Byzantium and right over, over across into the west side of Turkey towards uh, the, 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 the Bulgaria and around that area, you'll find they're more Caucasian. They start changing, coming westward. And stay with me because this is important. Genesis chapter 28 and verse 9, please. Verse 9. We're going back in time. Notice what it says here. Then went Esau unto Ishmael. Notice here we have Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. And then, of course, we have Esau. Esau's brother. Or pardon me, Jacob's brother. Esau was the one who, remember, he gave away his, his birthright for a pot of soup or a bowl of stew or whatever way you want to put it, of lentils. And now we see the two of these bloodlines coming together. Notice again, verse 9. Then went Esau unto Ishmael and took unto him the wives which he had. Mahalah, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, the sister of Nebajoth, to be his wife. Esau and Ishmael have come together. And so there's a strain of that family that are now not only Arab, but they're also Edomite as well. The Ottoman Empire grew up from uh, the, the east around the very steppes of Russia on across something near Iran, the northern Iran. The Ottomans were Turks. And uh, some say they're part of Esau and a mixture of Hittites as well. Nevertheless, the Turkey uh, that we know today was not the Ottoman Empire that was then. For example, the Ottoman Empire took up right across where the nation of Turkey is today, right down into Syria. It went right across into Iran and Iraq. It actually went right down into Jerusalem and took the land of Israel. I went right across North Africa and the Mediterranean. 
and right the whole way over all those Turkish nations. And it took them all in and it swallowed them all up. So that was the Ottoman Empire. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 16, please. We're going to show you the climaxing end of the Ottoman Empire. You might say this is a lot to take in, and it is, but I'm going to round it up for you that hopefully you'll be able to tie it all together. Revelation 16 and verse 12. And the sixth angel poured out his vial upon the great river Euphrates. That's important. Remember Abraham had his territory given of the Lord from there? And the water thereof was dried up by the way that the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. For they are the spirits of devils working miracles, which go forth unto the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. Notice in verse 12, the sixth angel pours out his vial on the earth. The river Euphrates, the water is dried up. If you were to look at an Ottoman Empire map where the river Euphrates, where the Ur of the Chaldees was, where Abraham came from, it goes up and it comes right down like this into where Babylon, stretching over towards Iran is today. And as that river goes over, the people populated both sides. The people populated and irrigated the land. When they populated and irrigated the land, they were able to live there, farm there. And so what happened was, the river Euphrates, as such, the people that lived around that flow started to dry up. What happened? Well, in Leviticus chapter 26, we haven't time to turn to it. The Lord said to ancient Israel, If you walk contrary unto me, I will walk contrary unto you, and I will punish you seven times more for your sins. Seven times punishment began when Israel separated into two kingdoms, Ten tribes in the north and two tribes in the south. The ten tribes were carried away captive and never returned as a nation again. And they went up into where, you can read it in the scripture, some of them went into Armenia and up between the Caspian and the Black Seas, up over the Caucasus. That's important too. Hopefully we'll get there tonight. And what happened was 120 years later we read of Daniel being carried away into Babylon. Well, from that carrying away, the seven times punishment of the house of Judah began. From then, I'm trying to remember the, the numbers now, it's about 745 BC. I might be a year or two out there. And the seven times punishment are like this. One time, 360. One time, 360. Seven, 360s is 2,520. The Lord says there are two timescales for prophecy. Peter says the day is with the Lord is a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. And yet we're also told that the Lord gave Israel a day for a year. Now if we do a day for a year, the year that they were carried away, and you go right down as the numbers get lower, but as you go to the year minus one, you add one because there's no year not. Then you go 1 AD, 2 AD, keep subtracting. It brings you onto the year 1917 AD, just over 100 years ago. And that's when General Allenby uh, flew the planes over Jerusalem. And who was occupying Jerusalem at that time but the Turkish Ottoman Empire? None could budge them, none could move them. And it was General 
Belvoir, who came and talked to a man called uh, Allenby, Edmund Allenby, and he was a general in the British Army. Everyone who had tried to remove the Turks uh, from the Holy Land uh, or from Jerusalem all failed. Every single one of them. And they came back and they were shamed when they came back with their tails between their legs. And so Belvoir comes and he sets down two Christian generals they were and they start reading. There's a man from Dublin called uh, Grattan Guinness. And Grattan Guinness wrote a book called Light for the Last Days and another one called The Approaching End of the Age where he puts all of this together, this prophecy of the seven times punishment. He works it out that in 1917 something would happen to Jerusalem. That it would be liberated coming out of the seven times punishment. It would finish for them. They literally took this and they went with it. And Allenby sent over the little bi-wing planes, dropped leaflets. There wasn't a shot fired or a bomb dropped. And the Turks dropped their weapons. The Ottomans dropped their weapons and surrendered to Allenby. Well, surrendered to a couple of little privates in the army. And then they all surrendered to Allenby. This was the start, the, the main emptying out of the river Euphrates. How? Because by the 1920s, the whole population of their control dried right up over the river Euphrates. Came right up from, from, the, from uh, Canaan land. And they became the Turkish Republic. Stay with me because now we're getting closer. We're getting closer. So we have the Ottoman Empire here in Revelation chapter 16 and verse 12. And the river Euphrates is dried up. What for that the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. We think of the east, that means the kings at the rising of the sun. The rising of the sun is Japan and Korea and China and those sort of countries. And we see them rising up 1917. Mao Zedong took Marxism and communism back into China. And he started this revolution for communism in China. And of course there was the war with the Chinese nationalists and the, 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 the Marxists. And the Marxists overcame the nationalists. The nationalists moved to Taiwan and into those regions of the Philippines and around there. So America came to back them up. And hence the friendship between them. We had Red China grew out of this. Hong Kong was relinquished just coming 30 years ago. We see it in the news today. As well, Hong Kong were used to having uh, their freedoms and their liberties. And of course, they're being taken away from them. And so you can see all of these things are happening. 1917, that happened in the earth as well. There's a lot more that happened, but we'll go on. What we have to think of as well, everything that's going to happen in the Middle East, even if it's not said on the news, revolves around the little Israeli state. It's either loved or loathed. It's either for or against. And that's what's wrong. Notice this as well. But we must be careful. There are those who were in the 8th century. And they were up in between those two seas. Remember the Caspian and the Black up by Armenia. Further up north toward Russia. They were called the Khazarians. The King Bulan. You can look it up and read it for yourself. King Bulan was a, a king who wanted a state religion. So he looked at Christendom, uh, Judaism, and the Islamic faith in the 8th century. He chose Judaism. Millions of non-Israelites 
became known as Jews and they weren't even real Jews. When we even go back further still between your Old Testament and your New Testament where the Apocrypha, I'm not sure if you're aware of that book or not, but where the Apocrypha was, there's a book called the Maccabees and there was a, a king priest, as they called him, called John Hyrcanus around the second century BC. He conquered Edom, these Edomite people. And he forcibly uh, made them convert to Judaism. So here's more who are not Jews who call themselves Jews today. And this is where a lot of the trouble comes from. Herod the Great was a Jew by religion, but not by his race. The baby killer trying to slay the Christ of God. And you have many of them in Jewry today as well. When we look at the Kurds, the Kurds are mainly from Iran and North Iraq. And the group which spanned the southeastern Turkey, you'll read, hear of them today, and you know what happened, that, uh, that they were uh, the, the Peshmerga, and I know they were fighting against ISIS and, uh, and, and Daesh, as some people call them. And so then after things had settled down, um, Donald Trump has, has went and pulled the troops out. Now listen, brothers and sisters, I'm going to say something's maybe controversial here, but I'm going to say my own thoughts, okay? The, the troops, our troops should be home. We have enough dead troops in foreign soil. Should be home. I'm not saying I feel for the people, but those people were fighting for their own homeland. They weren't really fighting for America or Britain. They were fighting for their own homeland. Now listen, I feel for them because of this. After the First World War, you see, in First Chronicles 5 verses 1 and 2, you can read me go home, God says that Judah, the southern kingdom, Judah would receive uh, the scepter but Joseph became known as the northern kingdom would receive the birthright. So the birthright really belonged to the northern house of Israel. And after the second world war, notice this, the birthright was placed into the hands of Great Britain. Or pardon me, the first world war, the birthright was placed into the hands of Great Britain and France. In other words, they had control of the whole area. They took over the whole lot. They had it all. So they started dividing. That's where you get Iran wasn't the country. It was Persia. Iran wasn't the country it was. That is in, in geographical size. It used to be Persia, but it was given that land. Iraq was the same. The Kurds were promised land too along that northern border. And that's where the problem comes in today. Because in 1920, the Treaty of Sevres promised provision for the Kurds. And then what happened? It fell through because of, guess what? Politicians debating. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? They haven't changed any. And then from 1920 to 1923, but finalizing things in 1924, they then managed to give Turkey, that great Ottoman Empire, the Euphrates River nation, that, that was drawing, or drying up, they gave them what's known as the Turkish Republic of today. So the Turks hit the Kurds. Syria was also 
cut off by France. And Jordan was another one. The settlement between them defined the Turkish Republic and the Kurds, mostly Islamic, are from mainly the Sunni, the Sunni Muslim religion. But there's a large Shia Muslim part of them too. Now notice, there's elements of what's known as Sufism among the Kurds and the Islamics hate it. That's another reason they attack them. Sufism is really mysticism. And there's also a group called Alevism and Yazidis. You've heard, I'm sure, of the Yazidis. They believe that God left seven holy beings or seven holy angels to care for the world. Their first one was Melech, Toss, who was a great peacock. That's, that's the truth. He's an angel, like a great big peacock. And he is the one who represents God on earth. In other words, he is another Antichrist. Zoroastrianism came from Iran. Zoroastrianism came into the Kurds. Zoroastrianism came in towards some of Islam. And listen... It came from ancient Babylon and it went into the Jewish religion. It's mysticism, Kabbalism, and it's Antichrist. I notice this. It came in as well through parts of the Talmud. To close with something. Thank you for your attention. I'm hoping I'm, I'm, I'm enlightening you why all this is going on at the minute. Turn with me to Ezekiel 38, please. Here's what's going to happen. Here's what's going to happen. And we're not going to be able to read all of this again because the time is gone, but Ezekiel 38, verse 1, please. And the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, set thy face against Gog, the land of Magog, the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal, and prophesy against him and say, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I am against thee, O Gog, the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal. And I will turn thee back and put hooks in thy jaws, and will bring thee forth in all thine army and horses and horsemen, all of them clothed with all sorts of armor, even a great company with bucklers and shields, all of them handling swords, Persia, Ethiopia, and Libya, with all of them with with them, all of them with shield and helmet, Gomer and all his bands, the house of Tagarmer of the north quarters, and all his bands, and many people with thee. These are nations of today. This we're told it is on the latter days or the latter years it's going to happen. And so we're living in the latter days, the latter years. This hasn't happened before. We're, we're watching this happen as you watch your news. It's happening right this moment. It's gathering together. It's building speed, gathering ground. So let's look at it, shall we? It says, The Lord come unto me, saying, The word of the Lord come unto me, saying, Son of man, set thy face against Gog, the land of Magog, Meshach, and Tubal. Gog, Magog. Gog means big, colossal, gigantic. The chief prince of Meshach and Tubal. 
uh, is debated. Some think it's Turkey. Some believe it's further north from Moscow and Tobolsk and means Russia. Now today you're finding these nations are coming together. You always hear of Russia backing Syria, Bashar al-Assad in Syria. And so when you're reading of this, you're reading prophecy and you're seeing prophecy come to pass. Russia uh, to come down. Verse 5, Persia. I've already mentioned that. It's Iran. Now, Ethiopia isn't just Ethiopia. There, the, the Ethiopia means all of black Africa as it's known. Sudan and, uh, is, is, a, is a very uh, Islamic nation too. It means all of black Africa. Libya means Libya. The Arab nation there. Verse 6, we have Gomer. Some people place Gomer as the Crimea or even into the European Union who'll want to come across with their one worldism. The house of Tagarma, the Turkish peoples. So it could be Turkey and or Turkmenistan, Tajikistan, Uzbekistan and all of those stand countries. And then in verse 13, let's read it. There is Sheba and Dedan and the merchants of Tarshish with all the young lands thereof shall say unto thee, art thou come to take a spoil? Hast thou gathered thy company to take a prey, to carry away silver and gold, to take away cattle and goods? To take a great spoil. So here is another confederacy of nations. Sheba and Dedan. Some believe there are some of the, uh, of the Arabic nations that will side along in this war. Merchants of Tarshish. People say Tartesius on the Atlantic side of the, the rock of Gibraltar is Tarsus. I personally don't think so. Tarsus means land of smelting. And for years they went and they smelted the tin mines of Cornwall and the, the, the copper in Anglesey and Wales. And they brought them back into uh, the Mediterranean where they melted them together to make bronze or brass. Done it for years and years and years. I believe these smelting mines are the merchants of Tarsus where we would have once sung, rule Britannia, Britannia ruled the waves. And the young lands are the Commonwealth nations. And Abraham... And his seed were promised a multitude of nations in the earth. Notice this. All the young lands thereof. Verse 16 says, It is in the latter days. And I shall come up against my people of Israel as a cloud to cover the land. And it shall be in the latter days. It hasn't happened yet. We're in the latter days. Verse 18. My fury shall come up on my face. God says that. He's going to get angry. Verse 19. For in my jealousy and in the fire of my wrath, he says, have I spoken. Notice, for in my jealousy and in the fire of my wrath, have I spoken. I'm closing. Thank you for your attention. I hope this has been beneficial to you. And Second Thessalonians is our last scripture reading. Second Thessalonians, please. Chapter 2. Second Thessalonians chapter two. Pardon me, Second Thessalonians chapter one and verse seven. Listen to the words of the apostle. And to you who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. How's he coming? In flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God 
and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power, when he shall come to be glorified in his saints and to be admired in all them that believe, because our testimony among you was believed in that day. Wherefore also we pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of his calling and fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith with power. The name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and ye in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now take note, Ezekiel 38 has not happened yet. It's in the latter days. And verse 19, for in my jealousy and in the fire of my wrath have I spoken, the Lord said. And then Paul takes it and he says, the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God. Taking vengeance on them that know not God. You think to hear many people today that God's just going to accept everybody and anybody into heaven, wouldn't you? Into his kingdom. You think he just loves everybody and you're all just go, everybody's going to come. You can live how you like and you can do what you want and you can be a drunkard and you can be a fornicator and you can be a drug addict and as long as your family think you're nice. It's always, well, they're a good person. God takes the sweetest flowers and all this sort of stuff and I'm sorry, I don't mean to offend you, but it's bumpkin. And it's nonsense. It's my job and duty to tell you the truth. The Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel. Do you know God as your Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you obeyed the gospel and come to saving faith in him? Because it's not just the people that we have read about and the things that we have read about. It's every man and woman who have rejected Christ all their years, all their days. And I see people and hear people saying, happy heavenly birthday, uncle such and such. You would have been 60 something today or whatever it was. Or happy heavenly birthday, granny so and so. And, and they live like devils all their lives. Friend, I have to tell you, I don't mean to offend you, but the truth offends. The gospel does offend the sinner. It's up to the sinner then to realize Christ is the Savior. If you're not saved and you're rejecting Christ and his gospel, if you're not saved by grace, that is just receiving Christ because you realize you're a sinner and you come in repentance to the foot of the cross by faith, right in your seat where you are. And if you do not turn to him, you'll be thrown in with the rest of them. Doesn't matter what religion you grew up with and what denomination came from. Doesn't even care how lily white your skin is or how dark and brown it is. It doesn't matter. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your saviour, if you don't know that he shed his blood to pay your debt, that you don't do anything but realise I'm a sinner, he's the saviour, He's paid my debt and I'm trusting in him alone. Friend, that's what you need to do to to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. For the Lord Jesus Christ shall be revealed in flaming fire, 
taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel. And if you don't obey the gospel and Christ returned or should you die and you stand before him, you'll stand before him guilty as charged. The father will ask you, what have you done with my son? He's not going to ask you how many cigarettes you smoked, how many pints you drank. Or he's not going to ask you what drugs you took. He knows all about it. He's going to say, I made the way. I gave the sacrifice. I gave my son for you. And have you accepted or rejected as what you will stand or fall on. Because the Lord says, it's when I see the blood. He didn't say, when I see your good works. He didn't say, I see you're a Catholic or a Protestant or or a Hindu or a Muslim or a Jew. He didn't say, when I see you're this, that or the other. He didn't say, when you're a good mother or a good father or a good son or a good daughter. He didn't say, when I see the color of you or what nation you came from or where you grew up. And he says, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. It's the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, that cleanseth us from all sin. So I'm asking you, have you obeyed the gospel? Have you come to saving faith in Christ? Have you realized you're a sinner and he's the only savior and he has paid your debt and you accept him alone? That's the only way. And this is the way. You look at it, Russia and Iran and Syria are all in an alliance. Britain and America will fall in behind. You watch it. They'll fall in behind and they'll come over to the Israeli state. You watch this. It's all happening as you see it. God's word is forever settled in heaven. It is truth. And it tells you you must be saved. You must be born again. If you're not saved tonight, if you're not saved, will you get saved tonight? Will you come and see us tonight? Talk to us tonight. Talk to somebody before you go out the doors tonight. Don't leave here without knowing Christ is your Savior. You could leave here tonight and go out something, God forbid, but something happened to you and you end up in a devil's hell. You end up in a lake of fire forever and ever. But you could leave here tonight knowing Jesus is your Lord and Savior. And you can be ready for the kingdom. And God forbid, should something happen, you'll be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. You'll be his for all eternity. So may you come tonight to a saving knowledge in Christ. For his glory and his name's sake. Amen.